0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the kennel, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I don't even remember where I was when this happened, but I was somewhere else. I was somewhere else, and I happened to call my wife, Okay called her. And I said, what are you doing? She said, uh, nothing. Now that scares me whenever my wife says, uh, nothing. And I said, what's going on? And she goes, don't get mad. You ever had your wife say that? That's the first thing they really say to you. Don't get mad. And I said, what did you do? She goes, I haven't done anything yet. And I said, what are you fixing to do? She said, nothing. I said, okay, what's going on? She said, I'm going to buy a horse. And I said, what? She said, yes, I want my own horse. I, I'm going to buy a horse. And, and I said, uh, you wasn't going to talk to me about this? She goes, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Because, you know, like Ty does me, my wife brings the balance to me, and she, I, I'm full of good ideas with Ty because he's going to be the one that does them, right? But now I'm the analytical one because I'm already going through, okay, what's it going to cost for me to shoe this horse, to doctor it, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's its papers? And she goes, just, you just don't worry about anything. When your wife tells you don't worry about anything, Man, you know, you just know that it's going to be a wreck. So I said, you do whatever you need to, honey. I've learned to bring balance to my marriage. (laughs) So I told her, I said, you do whatever you want to, honey. And so she gets home at like midnight, right? And so I go out there and it's dark. I can tell that this horse's head is about right here. You know, its ears and stuff is about right here. It's a dark color, could have had something to do with it, it was dark outside, I don't know, and so I help her unload this horse, and, and she seemed real simple, like we needed another mare, Fiona is mayor enough for Elbert County, okay, and so we take it off, and we give her some hay, and we don't have any lights out there, so I'm like, I'll come check on her in the morning, so I, I walked out there in the morning, and Ace Reed had sold my wife a horse. You ever seen Ace Reed cartoons? It's just, there, there was this walking, dark-colored horse skeleton. I mean, this horse was bad. And I thought, it's going to die before, I- I'm surprised it made it through the night. I mean, this horse is emaciated, and I'm like, Honey, what did you do? Let's see, she, she's got a bigger heart than I because I, you know, I'm gonna look at papers and I'm gonna, you know, let's see how this thing rides and everything. She's just like, oh, it needs a home. Here, come on with me. I'll bring you home. I know none of yours wives are like that at all, or your girlfriends, or anybody else. So I kept her in the pen a few days. Uh, you know. <laughs> Seriously, she was so bad, I I thought, you know what? Is it better to feed her alfalfa or literally some lead? I mean, this is how bad this horse looked to me. And so anyway, I kept her in the pen a few days, and she stood there, and she ate, everything was moving like it should, and I thought, okay, I'll keep her in the pen a few more days. Well, she didn't want to be in the pen a few more days, and on a Sunday, just so you know, nothing ever happens to a preacher except on Sunday. Okay, if something's going to go wrong, it's going to happen on Sunday. I keep waiting for the steers after Ty leaves from feeding in the morning. I'm going to get in the car and they're going to fake a bloat. There's going to be 30 of them that go, oh, he's coming. That's what happens on on a Sunday morning. So we get home from church and I see three horses on the right side of the fence and one horse on the wrong side of the fence. She had popped the gate latch and had got out. Well, that was not a good idea with Fiona, and I was keeping her separate from Fiona for a reason. And so whenever I went out there to get this poor horse, she was cut all the way across in like a Batman symbol, all the way across her chest, and the skin was just hanging down. And I thought, oh my gosh, she wasn't bleeding a whole lot. I mean, it's like somebody literally took a scalpel and just peeled her. So I get on the phone to Doc Walters, and I'm like, oh, Doc, I need you. And he's like, okay. And so here's our brand new horse. Yay, us. Yay, us. So we get her stitched back up. You know, now the horse has already cost us more than we paid for it. Can't even tell the scars there today. But yesterday, after riding her, I watched them out in the pasture. And I saw a lot of myself in that horse. When my wife rescued that horse from the rescuer, she was hurt, she was unloved, she was deprived, and she was without meaning or purpose. But my wife saw something in her that I couldn't see, that I still have a problem seeing to this day, but I'm so thankful for her being able to see something. And as I stood out there and I watched them graze in the pasture, I saw some of myself in her. I put the first ride on her back in, uh, it's been a while back. It's a little bit cold when it first started getting cold. And then uh, Ty finished her. I've just put one ride on her. And then Ty took her and has done an amazing job with her. And, you know, you, you might even now consider her green broke, okay? Green broke. She's got, you know, 50 rides on her, 52 rides on her now or something like that. But you know what? We might call her green broke, but there's nothing about her that is broken anymore. There's nothing about her that's broken anymore. She is on her way, and she's well on her way to being what I like to call unbroken. She is unbroken. And that's what I saw in that mare whenever I looked out there. The hard life, the, the, the unlove, the deprivation, the the loneliness of doing whatever you can to pop a gate latch and just go be with somebody, and then that hurts even worse. I don't know why we call it breaking a horse, because I think that what we do when we take a horse in is we don't break it, we start making it unbroken. We give it a purpose. We give it a care. We give it meaning. In Genesis chapter 3, there was the only two people that ever started out in this life as unbroken. And it was a guy named Adam and a lady named Eve. And it's starting in verse 8. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and and most of you know the story. They're, They're in the garden. Everything's perfect. There is no sin. There's no pain. There's no nothing. And they can do whatever they want to do in the whole garden except eat the Fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what them they did? When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Hey, where are you at? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was my wife. It's her fault. It's her fault. The woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Instead of just stuck with beef, right? (laughs) Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? And she said, It was the snake. It was the snake. Because of a lie that the serpent told Adam and Eve. Said, if you eat this, you will become like God, for you will know the truth. You will know the difference between good and evil. And although it, it was a lie, because he said you will become like God, he used a half-truth to talk them into it. In other words, because of a lie, Adam sinned. And because Adam sinned, all of perfection was broken. We may be born innocent, but that does not mean that we are not broken, even from birth. In Romans chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation on everyone. Adam's one sin brings condemnation on everyone. Condemnation entered the world when Adam sinned. So what is condemnation? What it did is it broke us. We became broken because of condemnation. What is condemnation? It's two parts. The first one is shame. Shame is condemning yourself. It's self-condemnation. If you remember Adam's, when God's walking through the garden, God says, where are you? He said, I, was, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Shame. How much of our lives is broken because of shame? I feel inferior because of my fill-in-the-blank. Did you think that you were the only one that felt inferior to to somebody else that you've been comparing yourself to? I feel inferior because of my fill-in-the-blank. I hide because of my shame. I hide behind my job. I hide behind my skills, maybe for some of us men, we hide behind our size we 're big and we 're intimidating. I hide behind my intellect i don't want everybody to know that I am afraid, so if I talk real smart, maybe people will like me, and maybe they will think that i 'm confident, but really i'm just i 'm scared all the time. I hide behind my pride, I hide behind my reputation, I hide behind behind my strength I hide behind my makeup. I hide behind my humor. I hide behind my good family name. I hide behind my denomination. Shame has brought fear on everybody. It is one of the reasons that we are broken inside. You are not the only one that feels broken. Condemnation is behind stress, anxiety, depression, addiction, suicide, and every other form of self-harm, intentional or not. Self-condemnation. Shame. Blaming ourselves. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so there must be something wrong with me. You know, that's the, that's the question that I get asked more than anything as a pastor, as a preacher. I don't know what God wants me to do. So therefore, people think that they must be doing something wrong because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Shame is condemning yourself. Self-condemnation. But there's another ver- There's another form of condemnation and it's called Blame. Shame is blaming ourselves. Blame is when we blame others. We condemn others. The woman gave it to me. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm, even though I did it, it's not my fault. How often do we do that? We say, it's not my fault. And even the woman tried to pass the bucket. Well, the serpent lied to me. We try to blame other people. We condemn others for our own mistakes. We say, it's not my fault. Or how about this one? Well, it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, when we think that life is fair, we are literally comparing our life to somebody else's. And somebody else got off on something, you know, or got to do something, or they live this certain kind of life, and it's not ours. That is a form of condemnation. It's condemning ourselves, and we're blaming somebody else for having something that we think that we should have. It's not my fault I'm in this position. It's not my fault that I feel this way. And it's not fair. This world is broken. How many times have we thought to ourselves, if only, if only, If only I had more money, if only I had a better job, if only I had a better horse, if only I had more time to practice roping, if only I had an indoor arena, if only I had this, if only I had that. That is a form of self-condemnation, and in a way, you are comparing yourself to others, so you're blaming others for having something that you don't have that you think are going to make you more happy. Condemnation has broken this world. What's our response to the brokenness? in ourselves, in the world? What do we guys, especially, guess what we try to do? We put all of our effort in trying to do what? Fix what is broken. We try to fix what is broken. Well, there's three parts that are broken. The first part is, God doesn't love me. That's what condemnation tells us, that God doesn't love me. That God must be mad at me. I've done this, so if I'm having a hard time, then God must be punishing me somehow because he, he, he gave this to this person over here and, and they're sorry, son of a gun, and I didn't do anything that bad, but God has punished me, so God must not love me. So we try to fix that. It is the basis of all religion, trying to get God's love back. What can we do to make God love us? Something is broken. God must not love me because Ty has more than I do. She is prettier than I am. He can tell a joke better than I can. So God must not love me as much as he loves somebody else. So how can I fix that? We do it with religion. Will you make up rules that you must follow? OK, if I, if, I do, if I follow the rules good enough, then God will love me and God will bless me and, and, and I will have the favor of God, and then everything will, and then everything will be fine. I'll be able to fix it. And if, when, when following rules doesn't work, because we find out really fast that we can't be good enough, that following the rules does not make us feel any better. As a matter of fact, the more we follow rules, the more we start condemning ourselves because we know that we're no good at following the rules. So what do we do? Is we start creating God in our own image. The author Anne Lamott said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Or we can, we can expound on that and say we have successfully created God in our own image when He believes exactly like you do. How many times have you heard a, a, a Christian or a religious person go, well, you know, I don't really believe that. Well, congratulations. Tell me about your God. Because my Bible says that God's ways are not our ways and our ways are not God's ways. We make up rules to follow we start creating God. We, start, we want a God in a box that is manageable, that loves us despite our faults, but that will punish other people for their faults. Sometimes people even go, to the extreme with their religion and they say that they don't even believe in God. They don't even believe in God because if they don't believe in God, then they think that if there's no condemnation that somehow they'll feel better. But then they search for everything and and nothing makes them feel any better. They still don't feel loved. Or some people are agnostic and what agnostic means is they say, well, maybe there is a God, maybe there isn't a God, but He ain't never done anything for me, so I ain't going to do anything for Him. It's still a form of religion where we want to be loved. Whether we push him away or try to do everything we can to bring him back, we try to fix what is broken. Because we think that God doesn't love us. We're broken inside. Something has snapped. There is something wrong. And I know that you have felt that before. God must be mad at me. Maybe I've done something. I went. I just went too far because I promised him that I was going to stop doing that. And I didn't stop. And now I've gone past that little mark. And, and he's not going to invite me back. And even if he didn't invite me back, because of my pride, I can't go back because I can't accept a love because I knew what I was doing and I did it anyway. We try to fix what is broken because we don't think that God loves us. The other part that is broken is that we don't love ourselves. That is the basis of a billion-dollar self-help industry. I just want to love myself. If God's not going to love me, at least maybe I can feel good about myself. And we have all fallen for it. Love thyself. We've tried materialism. We have tried to buy stuff. Your closets, your garages, your pens are filled with things that you thought was going to fulfill you, that that you thought was going to make you happy. You know, you remember when you were only making this much money, and now you make this much money. But more than likely, you're worse off now than you were before. We've tried materialism to make us feel better we we've gone after success you know, we we look up to 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 people called actors and actresses that we pay millions of dollars to so that they can entertain us and all these the only thing these people are good at is pretending and then we think that they've got it made but aren't we doing the same thing just pretending who are you really you're broken and so am i we try materialism To make us love ourselves, we think that that's gonna make us feel better. And when materialism doesn't work, then we go for emotionalism. Happy is good, sad is bad. If we're having a happy day, then everything is great. Uh, Our emotions become our God. We do everything that we can. We try to control what everybody else says, everybody else does, so that, so that we can control our little world, so that we can go after that emotion called happiness because that is our God. But no matter how many times we look in the mirror and tell ourselves, I am a good person. I love me. I want to be happy. I am happy. No matter how long we repeat these mantras to ourselves, no matter how positive we are, guess what? It doesn't work. No matter how much duct tape we put over the cracks in our lives, no matter how much super glue we use or paint we use, it doesn't make us feel any better. We pretend for a little while, but it doesn't work. We think that God doesn't love us. We wonder if we even love ourselves. Why can't I be like so-and-so? And the third thing is, we start wondering, if God doesn't love us and I don't love us, how can they love me? Nobody loves me. Nobody understands me. I guess I'm unlovable. God doesn't love me. I don't even love me. Nobody else loves me. That is the basis of all relationships. Someone please love me. Will someone please love me? And so we start acting a certain way towards people so that we if I act this way, then then Ty will like me. And, and if I do this just right, then maybe my wife will be in a good mood and, 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 and she won't be mad. And, and, and we start this whole fabricated life just so that somebody will show us a little bit of attention because God doesn't love us and we don't even like ourselves. So we cram everything in and we try to become somebody else so that somebody will love me. We dive into peer pressure. We say things that we think other people will want us to say so that they will like us. We do things so that we can fit in. So that we won't cast ourselves out even though we already feel like an outcast. Why? Because we're broken. Because there is condemnation in the world. There is shame where we condemn ourselves and then we blame others. And then you know what we do? When somebody doesn't love us like we think that they should love us, then we hurt them back. You know why people hurt people? Because hurting people hurt people. Because we're broken. And then there's the perversion of love. That's what the devil does. He takes things that are just amazing, and the devil twists them just enough so that he makes it a perversion. The perversion of love, pornography, sex outside of marriage, rape, incest, molestation, homosexuality, etc. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying it's a perversion of the love that God intended, the pure love. Why does those happen? Because they're broken. Maybe you don't fit any of those, but we all fit those because we're all broken. God does not look and say, well, you've just got a little crack in your deal. All of us are shattered. We are broken. Absolutely broken. You thought you were the only one. That it's felt like God didn't love you. You thought you were the only one that had gone too far. You thought you were the only one that didn't keep your promise. You know, if God, if you will fix this, then I will do that. And God did His part, but you didn't do yours. And you've been trying to ignore it, and you've been telling yourself that you're forgiven, but you're still condemning yourself. You thought you were the only one that that felt like that God didn't love you. And you thought you were the only one. You thought that when you went to church or when you got a new job or something, that everything was just going to magically happen and you were going to love yourself now and that you were going to be on cloud nine all the time. But when you started following Christ, now you kind of feel worse than you did to begin with. Why? Why? And then you wonder, why nobody else? You've had relationships. You've had friendships. You've had children. You, you have parents. But all of these relationships are falling apart, and you don't know why nobody loves you. You know why? Because you're broken. You are broken. It's not a criticism. It's the truth. And here's the saddest thing in the world. Here's the saddest thing in the world. You can't fix it. You can't fix being broken. You'll never make enough money. You'll never meet the right person. You'll never leave the person you're with and find somebody better. You will never find the right job, the right hobby, or the right house, or the right horse. You'll never read the right book, reach a certain weight or memorize enough Scripture to fix what is broken inside you. There will always be somebody that is better, that is bigger, that is stronger, that is prettier, that is more creative, that is better equipped and happier at the moment than you are. You can't fix it. It can't be done. But I've got some good news. I've got some real good news. And if you come back next week, I will tell you what it is. But I'm going to give you a hint. I'm going to give you a hint. This will probably be the first time many of you have ever, ever heard this. Kianosis katesis. Kianosis katesis. Keonosis, katesis. If you're a scholarly and like to do a little bit of Bible study, go figure out what the Greek words keonosis, katesis, means, and we'll talk about it next week and how your life can be changed. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for the work you are doing in our lives. This work cannot be accomplished with our own effort, but only with your love, your grace, and your mercy. You have called us by name. We are not here by accident today. There may be a thousand reasons why somebody is hearing this message. Maybe because they they think that you don't love them, or that they don't even love themselves, or that They feel like nobody understands them and that nobody cares. But you have called them by name. They are hearing you now. God, let us hear you and answer your call. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. We will see y'all next week.